Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. Science fiction can be difficult to pin down. One well-known definition goes more or less as follows. Science fiction is what I point at when I say, this is science fiction. Not very helpful, but then that's kind of the point. For most fans of science fiction, whether that's literature, film, TV, comics, there's no real problem with defining the genre. People know it when they see it. But when you think about it, it's hard to decide what exactly the essential ingredients of science fiction really are. I've been springing this question on unsuspecting friends for the last few days, and after some initial hesitation... Um... 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 um but what's the question? Which, which question am I answering? <laughs> I got some very considered responses. The first thing I think about when I think about science fiction is aliens and the future. It would have to obviously have science. As in, it would have to have something that is plausibly achievable even if we don't understand what it is that got them to the stage that they're at. Things that are not possible in the world we live in right now. So fantasy, it's totally impossible, it's dragons, it's magic. Science fiction is, how, however mental it looks like, it's always within the slight realm of possibility. Something that you hadn't considered was possible, but after thinking about it was just about plausible little bit of surrealism but in a more technological way rather than just something that doesn't make sense. Taking science and adding imagination to it. Something that's plausible but outlandish. There are some clear overlaps among these answers, themes that appear and reappear in science fiction, or SF as those in the field tend to call it. SF portrays visions of the future, technology plays a central role, space travel or aliens often feature, maybe cyborgs or robots too. But an SF story may contain some, or all, or none of these. What most people would agree is that SF tends to extrapolate. It follows a line from our world to a newly imagined world. This line is plausible, or at least it seems plausible. It doesn't really have to be scientifically accurate, it just kind of has to appear that way. So, for example, faster-than-light travel is a feature of lots of SF, even if physics tells us it's impossible. Some SF works with huge timescales at an almost incomprehensible distance from our own world. If you know Ian M. Banks' Culture series, this is a great example. The, the novels imagine this vast, profoundly different universe populated by this extraordinary range of species. There's a connection to our own lowly human species, but, you know, it's pretty distant. Other SF stays much closer to home. I really enjoyed Ex Machina, the 2015 Alex Garland film. It's about a tech CEO who invites one of his computer programmer employees to take part in this experiment, which is testing the consciousness of an intelligent, lifelike robot. The technology doesn't seem impossibly futuristic, but the implications of an artificially intelligent robot, which looks and thinks like a human, are obviously huge. In doing this, science fiction makes us think about ourselves. The best SF creates strange and fascinating new fictional worlds and draws us into them. Then it makes us return to our own world and look at it afresh. We may be in the future, or an alternative present on Mars and space, 
but we're always still in our own world. Or, to put it another way... Science fiction is a kind of non-realist literature that pretends to be compatible with the world we live in. It, it pretends to follow our accepted laws of reality. It pretends to be a projection of our history. It, it pretends to be the world that we are living in now, except it isn't. This is Dr. Jack Fennell, a researcher based in Limerick in Ireland, and an expert in this area. For Dr. Fennell, it's all about history. He distinguishes between the three very closely related areas of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Well, I I would distinguish between them in terms of their relationship to history. Science fiction pretends to be our history projected into the future. Fantasy, on the other hand, just completely disregards our history. It takes place in a different world where our history doesn't really come into it. And then horror, I would argue, ends history. You know, it's like the everyday world, then you plonk a monster down into the middle of it. History has to stop until you deal with that supernatural threat. Dr. Fennell's most recent book is Irish Science Fiction, and it's a fascinating look at a pretty underexplored area. And it turns out that in looking more specifically at Irish SF, history and myth are really central. So what exactly is Irish Science Fiction? Ireland's not exactly the first country that springs to mind when you think science fiction. I mean, when aliens land on Earth, surely they'll land in New York or London or maybe Tokyo. Definitely not Dublin or Cork. When robots take over the world, it'll start in California, not Connemara. But then, why not? There's an inability to imagine Irish SF, which actually misrepresents the fact that there's a long history of the genre in Ireland, going right back to at least the mid-19th century. Older Irish SF can be a little complicated because, again, it's all about history. And, well, the Irish have a complicated relationship with history. Well, like, I mean, you definitely get the sense looking at older things that the Irish were, like, as a nation, we were very fearful of the future. Or not, not fearful exactly, but certainly very wary of it. Because it was like, if you, if you look at our history, it's just a series of ruptures. You know, things progress in their own way for a while, and then there's a rupture, then there's another, like, so, you know, the act of union, the famine, uh, like, several famines throughout our history, various uprisings and wars, and then the civil war and what have you, Uh, it was like, it kind of inculcated this awareness that, you know, don't make any plans, right, because (laughs) this could all go belly up tomorrow morning, just kind of concentrate on shoring things up right now, right here, and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. One of the best examples of early Irish SF is the work of a writer called Fitzjames O'Brien. O'Brien was born in Cork, but mostly grew up in Limerick. Then in 1852, in his mid-20s, he emigrated to New York. Um, He became part of the New York Bohemian set there, and he socialised with the likes of Walt Whitman. He wrote drama, poetry, and short stories, and he was published in lots of very well-regarded literary magazines, you know, the likes of Harper's, Atlantic, and Vanity Fair. Tragically, his life was cut short when he volunteered in the American Civil War and was wounded. He died of an infection shortly afterwards in 1862, just 10 years after first arriving in the US and still only in his 30s. O'Brien's masterpiece, and the work he's generally known for today, is The Diamond Lens. It's about a guy called Linley. He's a a kind of a megalomaniac, mad scientist character who is obsessed with developing the most powerful microscope 
known to man. He wants to kind of zoom down right to a level that nobody before has ever achieved. And to do this, he actually arranges a seance where he contacts the ghost of a Dutch scientist, Leeuwenhoek, uh, to find out exactly how to make the perfect lens. Once he does this, he's able to zoom right into a subatomic world. He's able to zoom into a completely different universe that's smaller than the atoms that make up our world. And he observes like uh, a woman living in that uh, universe, and he falls in love with this microscopic woman who doesn't know he's there. And he spends all his time uh, observing her. She, her entire universe exists inside a droplet of water on a slide under his microscope. And he spends so much time gazing at her, head over heels in love with her, that he eventually he destroys her entire universe because the water droplet dries out. And, you know, the knowledge that he has done so drives him completely insane at the end. It's a classic science fiction story, and the idea of exploring a hidden microscopic world is by now a very familiar trope in the genre. The story is also about colonizing and controlling new worlds, a pretty familiar concept in science fiction and, of course, in Irish history. Irish people know plenty about colonization. The Diamond Lens also blends the supernatural with its spirits and seances with the scientific in Lindley's experiments with his microscope. And a lot of O'Brien's stories combine the scientific and the supernatural in this way. Another example is a great story called What Was It? Um, it's about a man who gets attacked in the middle of the night, but when he wrestles his assailant to the ground and turns on a light, he realises that the thing which has attacked him is, is there, he's holding it down, it's breathing and struggling, but he can't actually see it, it's invisible. And this is one of the earliest examples of invisibility in a science fiction story. With a friend, the narrator manages to tie the thing up, and they try to analyse it. Eventually, they knock it out and take a plaster mould of it, which reveals this strange sort of man-like creature. But they don't know what to do with it. The landlady, understandably, doesn't really want it in her house, and they don't want to let it loose in the world either, so eventually it just dies. What you've got there are like amazing examples of this crossover between the traditional logic of myth and the kind of modern logic of science and invention. This creature that was a ghost at the start of the night, by the end of it, it's a legal problem, it's a scientific problem, a zoological conundrum, and what have you, but it's no longer a ghost. Fitzjames O'Brien was writing in the mid-19th century, and between then and now, there's a lot of other Irish science fiction. Again, a lot of it engages with time, with alternative histories and imagined futures. There are lots of Irish alternative histories and invasion fiction novels, and if you want to know more about invasion fiction, you're in luck. Episode 1 is all about this fascinating subgenre of science fiction. There are also lots of science fiction works written by Irish authors who are better known for other fiction. So George Bernard Shaw's Back to Methuselah, with its long-lived humans, which is set in several different time periods, including a vision of post-humanity in 31,920 AD. C.S. Lewis also wrote science fiction. Most people know him as the author of the Narnia Chronicles, but he also wrote a science fiction space trilogy, beginning with Out of the Silent Planet, which is set on Mars. If you're into your Christian allegories, you'll probably love it, but as an SF novel, eh, it's not great. There are more contemporary Northern Irish science fiction writers too, like Bob Shaw, James White, and the multiple award-winning Ian MacDonald. 
Too much, in other words, to fit into one short episode. If we skip forward to the present then, the importance of history and myth in Irish science fiction is still with us. Kevin Barry's great novel The City of Bohan, written in 2011, is set amongst warring gangland tribes in the west of Ireland. The society is extremely limited technologically. There are no smartphones or cars, digital cameras or computers of any kind. The city itself is cut off from the rest of Ireland and the world. It seems to be both stuck in the past and sort of outside time. But then this timeless present is revealed to actually be the future. The novel is an apocalyptic vision of Ireland set in 2053. City of Bohan also draws heavily on popular culture, particularly the imagery of American gangster films. But it does so using language, which is a unique blend of Irish and other slang. It's a novel which is both deliberately vague in its cultural references, but then is also distinctly Irish. Like with James O'Brien's work, it's a hybrid of past and future, Irish and international. Kevin Barry is just one particularly good example of contemporary Irish SF. I asked Dr. Fennell if he'd recommend anything else. Two novels that come to mind kind of almost immediately just because... You know, like the, the audacity of them, really. Uh, there's one, it's kind of a hard one to get your hands on nowadays. It's called Altergeist, and it's by a guy called Tim Booth. It was published by Fish Publishing below in Doris in West Cork. And it's just this, this amazing, bonkers, Mad Max type thing taking place in the Irish Midlands. It has telekinetic powers, it's got cyberpunk, it's got, <laughs> you know, um, the IRA, it's got everything in it. It's, it's just completely off the wall. And if you can, if you ever see a copy of it, I would recommend picking it up. Um, the other one, another one that comes to mind is uh, Welcome to Coolsville by Jason Mordaunt, which is very much about Ireland being incorporated into, you know, like a globalized economy that's very much skewed in favor of multinational corporations and again it has to do with this uh, penal colony kind of system it's got to do with like science being used in pursuit of corporate ends rather than as an end in itself uh, very interesting and there's so much more and that's not even going into film tv comics or anything else in the end irish sf is much like sf from any other country and why shouldn't it be why shouldn't the aliens land and go away for a change? Certainly the growth in Irish SF in the last two decades or so reflects an increased confidence about Ireland's place in the world. But then SF has been part of Irish culture for a long time, whether we've fully recognised it or not. And there's definitely a uniquely Irish flavour to it. When we think about science fiction, we tend to look to the future. But with Irish SF, it's just as important to consider the past. What's certain, anyway, is that when we say Irish science fiction, there's definitely something to point at. That's it for episode three of Words to That Effect. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't listened to the previous two, go check them out. They're on fake news and invasion fiction and on Sherlock Holmes and spiritualism. Also, if you're listening on iTunes and you have 30 seconds to give the show a rating... I don't know, maybe five stars. That would be amazing. It would really help the show and give you an enormous sense of well-being, akin to feeding the pigeons and the sparrows. If you want to get in touch, you can follow the show on Facebook or on Twitter. I'm at C-E-D-Read, C-E-D-R-E-I-D. The Words to That Effect website is wttepodcast.com. That's W-T-T-E, as in Words to That Effect, podcast.com. 
You can find new articles several times a week related to each episode, and there are links to everything mentioned on the show, and you can sign up to the newsletter as well. Special thanks this week to Jack Fennell. As I mentioned, Dr. Fennell has a fantastic book on Irish science fiction called simply Irish Science Fiction. Go buy it, read it, it's great. Links are on the website. Music this week came from the wonderful Philip Coleman and the fantastic Come On Live Long. I strongly recommend you stop everything and go listen to them both right now. Links are on the website. Episodes are every two weeks and next up is the highbrow and the lowbrow, the intellectuals and the masses. Is culture dumbing down? Are we so obsessed with superheroes that there's no room for true art anymore? Have a listen. Find out. Finally, if you'd like to support the show, I have a page on the crowdfunding website, Patreon. I love making this show, but it takes a ridiculous amount of time to make. So if you'd like to help me keep making new and better episodes, then go to wttepodcast.com forward slash Patreon, or just click on the Patreon logo on the website. Special thanks this week to Miguel, the first, I hope, of many generous patrons of the show. Thanks as well to Cormac, James, Joe, Maria and Rob, the voices you heard at the beginning of the episode. So that's it. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.